Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome one and all to the Storybox podcast, the place to be if you are a lover of stories. My name is Jay Phantom, former real estate agent now living my purpose, sharing amazing stories from people all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. We are on episode 100 and it is one year that the Storybox has been active unboxing stories and spreading stories to everyone in the world. I'm excited to announce that we have unboxed stories of over 350 individuals and we have reached over 95 countries all over the world in some countries that I never thought would be actually possible. And we have reached a total, this is a rough estimate, but anywhere in the realm of 13 to 14 million people globally, which is just absolutely astonishing. And it has beaten all expectations of what I originally had and in really envisioned for the story box in the space of such a short amount of time. And that's because of you guys, it's because of each and every one of you that continue to show up and support the Storybox podcast. And I'm incredibly grateful for each and every one of you. And if I sound like uh, an armchair that is about to fall off, I apologize. But I do want to highlight the fact that it is one year. I am thrilled to release this episode. And honestly, I went through all the episodes and I couldn't think of a better better person to really release for this week. And my guest today for the Storybox one year anniversary is none other than Dr. Edith Egger. Now, I do have to pre-warn you that this episode is very, very difficult to actually listen to, but it is also one of the most inspiring and encouraging episodes I have ever done on the Storybox. It goes down in history as one of the best episodes that I've ever done or interviews and people that I've spoken with on the story box. But for those of you who don't know who Dr. Edith is, when she was just a teenager in 1944, she experienced one of the world's worst evils that the human race has ever known. As a Jew living in Nazi-occupied Eastern Europe, she and her family were sent to Auschwitz, otherwise known as the horrendous and heinous death camp. 
Her parents were sent to the gas chambers, but Edith's bravery kept her and her sister alive. Toward the end of the war, Dr. Edith and other prisoners had been moved to Austria. On May 4, 1945, a young American soldier noticed her hand moving slightly amongst a number of dead bodies. He quickly summoned medical help and brought her back from the brink of death. After the war, Dr. Edith moved to Czechoslovakia, where she met the man she would marry, and in 1949, they moved to the United States. In 1969, she received her degree in psychology from the University of Texas, El Paso. She then uh, pursued her doctoral internship at William Beaumont Army Medical Center at Fort Bliss in Texas. Dr. Edith is a prolific author, a New York Times bestselling author, and a member of several professional associations. She has a clinical practice in La Jolla, California, and holds a faculty appointment at the University of California in San Diego. She has appeared on numerous television programs, including CNN and The Oprah Winfrey Show, just to name a few, and was the primary subject of the Holocaust documentary that appeared on Dutch national television. She is frequently interviewed um, and invited to do a lot of speaking engagements throughout the United States and abroad. I first heard of Dr. Edith on Lewis Howes' podcast, The School of Greatness, and was instantly struck by this incredible woman's mindset and her perspective on life. I really had to reach out to Dr. Edith and see if it would be possible to actually have an interview. And to my pleasure and surprise almost, Dr. Edith said yes, and uh, the interview was scheduled a month in advance. I was so looking forward to actually speaking to this incredible lady. She's 93 years old, and she has survived one of the world's worst heinous uh, events in all of history. And what you're going to discover on this episode is quite life-transforming. I kid you not. This lady's mindset towards forgiveness, love, hope is just it's really a gift, which leads me to say that if you have not already bought a copy of Dr. Edith's book called The Gift and The Choice, both of those books, order your copy now on any any bookstore online or go to your local bookstore down the road. I guarantee you that these books are going to change your perspective and your life on many, many things. I ordered my copies, they've arrived. I've started reading The Gift, and my goodness, <laughs> all I have to say is you won't want to put the book down. Uh, but also on this episode, I get the most vulnerable I have ever gotten on any podcast, and I share something with you all that happened to me when I was six years old. I won't share it in the intro, but I will say that I... I uh, it's very it was very difficult for me to actually share this with people, with you all, and Dr. Edith. But I felt like in the moment it was the perfect way to really share what happened. And um, yeah, I just hope that you guys really get something from it, and I hope that you guys are uh, helped for those people that are struggling. Um, with this similar thing that I did struggle with, not anymore. 
Um, but what you're going to hear is that and, um, yeah. So I don't want to give away too much, but what I will say is please, if you, if you are going through some kind of pain like what you're about to hear, seek help. Go and ask somebody that might know more than you or somebody that uh, is willing to help you. you. My email address is uh, thestorybox.podcast at gmail.com. Please send in an email. If you are struggling, we can organize a time to speak. I'm more than happy to help anybody out there. But I hope this episode really does some kind of justice in your life today and that you feel more free and helped. And with that being said, my friends, please, if you get something from this episode, share it around. Your support is greatly appreciated, but even more so with this one. Uh, Thank you all for your support. You guys know what time it is. It's time to dive into the story box and hear the wonderful, positive, the hopeful Dr. Edith Eggers story. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to a very meaningful hour with you. You are a wonderful, I'm sure, a great, well-loved person in Australia. That is my favorite place to be. I was a keynote address in New Zealand with Prime Minister Lange um, in 1985, celebrating the 40 years of liberation. And it was really dedicated to the righteous Christian people who risked their life to save Jewish lives, mm. like Corrie ten Boom, who really became my hero. Corrie ten Boom. Wow. I remember reading her book growing up, and that was all way before I was born. I was born in 96. I'm 24 years old. Um, and I just have such an affinity for people like yourself that have been through absolute hell, yet just have this appreciation and this joy and this peace about life. And you're doing so many wonderful, amazing things. I read a book uh, that changed my life recently called The Happiest Man Alive or on Earth, um, Eddie Jakku, who was also part of Auschwitz. And I remember just tearing up uh, at reading his story. And I remember hearing about your story and reading more about it and also tearing up, um, but then also smiling at the same time because of your mindset, because of your, uh, just who you are as a person. And before we dive into all that, Dr. Edith, I have one question that I've always wanted to ask you, but I've asked a lot of other people this question, which is what does success look like to you? Peace of mind being congruent, being well-connected, and being a take-charge person of your thinking, feeling, and your behavior. Mm -hmm. None of the positive thinking does any good unless it's followed with a positive action. Mm -hmm. I love that. When was the moment for you that you sort of realized your own version of success, that it is peace of mind and and attributing success to that. Has it been a gradual thing for you or is there a catalyst for you? I'll tell you the time when I felt like a complete imposter. I began to work with PTSD 
and I had two Vietnam veterans, and one of them was blaming, cursing God, country. Conversely, the other one said to me, hey, hey, doc, I'm sitting in a wheelchair, and God gave me a second chance in life, and I can see my children's eyes closer, and uh, the flowers, and that's when I began to feel like an imposter because I wore a white coat that said Dr. Eager, Department of Psychiatry. And I realized that I could not take them further than I have gone myself. And that's when I decided to go back to Auschwitz. That was really that pivotal moment for me to recognize that I ran away from my past. I went underground and I came to America and I completely ran away from my past. I won't do that today, but today I'm here at 93. I think young and I live in the present. Mm -hmm. There is one thing we cannot change is the past. Mm -hmm. Very true. I I'm, I'm curious, what was it like when you actually went back to Auschwitz having experienced such atrocities there in the first place? Well, I like to tell you that when I was in the cattle car, my mom held me and she said the following, we don't know where we're going, honey. We don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away from you what you put in your own mind. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wanted to go back to Auschwitz to honor my parents because I lost my family. I never went to a funeral, and yet I asked my sister to come with me because we were there together, and I told her I want to honor our parents and loved ones, and she said I was an idiot. I was a masochist, <laughs> so we had the same experience, uh, entirely different responses. So out of that came my theory and the work I do it's really about grieving, feeling, and healing. Mm -hmm. You cannot heal what you don't feel. So that's the work I do. That's my calling. As long as I live, I will never, ever retire. Mm. I absolutely love that. Um, I would like to ask you how you actually grew up because I, re I read in the introduction there, that you're only a teenager when World War II happened and then you were taken to the death camp. Um, yeah. So what was, what was your childhood like? Do you have any memories of that? My childhood was very, very difficult because my parents really wanted a son after two girls. And on the top of that, I became cross-eyed when I was three years old. And my sisters blindfolded me when they took me for a walk. So nobody would know what an ugly sister I was. They were singing songs about me, that I'm ugly, I'm puny, I'm never gonna find a husband. And today when I go to schools, it's the first thing I ask the students not to allow anyone to define who you are. Mm. Because God doesn't make junk that I like that people 
talk about that. Young people tell me, God doesn't mention. I love that. I love because we are one of a kind, unique, put here in this earth, like, like being planted as a seed. And then we have to watch what you be used for border. Mm. So I beg people to love themselves because self-love is self-care. It's not narcissistic. That's really important to get up in the morning, look in the mirror and say to yourself, I love me. Mm. And I honor me too, because many people can do what you can do, but not the way you can do it. That uniqueness, that one of a kindness, that authenticity is I celebrate, especially when someone is coming to me to go through the grieving process. I was just getting a phone call that someone gave birth two days ago and the baby died. So I'm going to hold that woman's hand and do the grief work because if she doesn't do it now, many years later, it's worse. You know, it's it's good to really face the truth and not to not to use defense mechanism like denial or delusion or even minimization. Auschwitz was here. It was also an opportunity to, to discover your inner resources. And that's what I bring you today. That that power of the spirit that I was really practicing in hell, like Auschwitz. I'm curious about people that go through this denial process and attributing or going through really healing because I know for me, I I never experienced anything what you have, Dr. Edith, but I've experienced my own level levels of pain and grief over the years, a lot of loss. Um, and I'm only 24 and some people sort of question like, Jay, how are you still here? How are you still standing? And I say to them, because I'm blessed first and foremost to have gone through all that. And I like how you mentioned the imposter syndrome, because for many years I felt the same way. And I, I had a moment last year that I sort of woke up to the fact that I was being an imposter to myself. I wasn't being true to me. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my self-worth. And what I want to ask you now, Dr. Edith, is why do you think that people struggle to really accept or know their own self-worth and, and love them? Why do you think that is a problem? I think it's very important to acknowledge that when you're angry, you either have something what you don't want or you want something what you don't have. Mm -hmm. And that's why very important to acknowledge whatever happened, you made it thus far. So the question is not why me, but what now? But you got to go through the rage 
and not to cover garlic with chocolate and not to try to minimize anything because suffering made you stronger. Mm. Okay, so so I remember uh, it's very important to think about your thinking because what you think you create. Yeah. So I like you to do two things. Think about your thinking and pay attention what you're paying attention to. Anything you pay attention to, you reinforce that behavior. Mm. It's very true. So never, don't say yes, but say yes and furthermore, I made it. I made it thus far. Mm. So the question is what now, not why me? I love that. And why not me? Why not? Why me? not me? Why not me? I was chosen to be with you today at 93 and having three children, five grandchildren, and seven great grandsons. I consider that the best revenge to Hitler. <laughs> Success. Well done. I made it. I made it. I made it. And every moment is precious. I don't take anything for granted. I eat up every crumb on my plate. I never throw out food if I can help it. If you take me out to lunch, and chances are I'm going to eat up your food if you don't, or take it home. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what happened to you in terms of experiencing suffering? So I don't, I don't mean to take away from your story at all, Dr. Edith, but in short, uh, I was born fighting. I was born with kidney reflux and scar tissue on my right, on my right kidney. And then at two years old, I um, got salmonella food poisoning, which almost killed me. And then further on down the track, I, at the age of six, I was sexually abused. Then um, I ended up, I was just in and out of hospital a lot with different health issues. But every single time, here's the amazing thing. Every single time that I went into hospital, I would always try and make the other kids laugh. I would always try and, and just bring a, a sense of joy and excitement to the room because I hated being there. But I thought, if I'm here, I may as well try and bring the other kids or put a smile to their face because I didn't like seeing anyone sad. Um, I just had this sense of empathy, like I'm okay, but everybody else here, they probably have it far worse than what I do. So if I have the ability to make someone else smile, that's going to make me smile and feel good about myself. But The fact is mm. that if you were touched at the age of six, your childhood ended. Mm. It's very important for you to turn the tragedy and realize that you were more in prison than I was in Auschwitz because I knew the enemy. Mm. So it's very, very important not to try to compare, but suffering makes you stronger. Have you ever been on stage and became a, a comedian? Or mm. did you? No? no. Yeah. No. Because I know the comedians are usually very brilliant people. 
who turned their suffering into hope. And uh, so is thank you very much to letting me know that you're not a victim. You were victimized. It's not who you are. It's what was done to you. Mm, I appreciate you sharing that because it is very true. Um, for me, I, I walked around in the days uh, for the better half of uh, most of my life and I didn't want to acknowledge that it was there. And for many years, I sort of put it in the back of my mind and was, didn't really think about it too much. And then towards like just recently, I started thinking about it for some reason. Like I had these flashbacks and I didn't, I didn't think it was actually real because uh, I was kind of in denial. Like that couldn't happen to me. And then when I asked the question, did it actually happen to the ones that actually knew about it? My parents, they were like, yes, it did. And it was almost like this, this massive realization moment. Everything that I had been looking at for all my life was, was just crazy. It was just all coming into my, into my, um, my mind. And then I sort of realized, well, okay, yes, I went through that. That's in the past. I, I have a choice to make here. Should I be the victim or can I become a conqueror and move forward and help others realize that if they're stuck in the same position that I'm in or was in, you can overcome it. You can, you know, don't beat yourself up about it. Forgive yourself and move forward. So that's what I I'm think. There are two things that is good to get rid of. One is guilt, because sometimes we blame ourselves, unfortunately. But you may say to yourself, if I knew then what I know now, I was six years old, my brain did not develop enough. So I did the best I could because I'm still alive. Mm. So I, I don't want you to minimize it, God forbid, or trivialize it. That's how I feel about Auschwitz. But I don't live there, and you don't either. I'm reminded myself almost every day. Uh, I, I, I find myself maybe walking on cobblestones, and that reminds me when children were spitting at us and caused, called us pigs, and I, and I was praying so much for the children who were taught to hate. You're not, you know, we're not born with hate. Right. We're learning yeah. to judge others, the us and them mentality. So I'm congratulating you that you are in public and you may be saving lives by letting them know that what you're doing now may be self-sabotaging. Or, or whatever you're doing now, you may want to question yourself, is this the best I can do? Mm. That's what I'm always doing, Dr. Edith. I'm always asking myself the tough questions and I'm not afraid to do that. I'm not, I'm not afraid to be vulnerable because that's my purpose, is helping people realize that they but are. You cannot, have, you cannot have intimacy unless you're willing to be vulnerable. And love is not what you feel, is what you do. Mm. And you committing yourself mm. to do everything in your power mm. that you're the 
people you are in contact with will never ever experience what you did. So God put you here with a calling, with a purpose, and at 24, you know, you're not smart, you're wise. You, you, you're a kind of a child with a, with a, with a soul that is hopefully contagious. I believe that God put me on this earth for a reason. And whatever that reason is, I can't wait to actually witness and experience for myself. And it's an absolute joy to be speaking with you, Dr. Edith, having, having heard everything that you've, you've been through. But I love this conqueror's mindset. And you mentioned before about hate and how we are taught, how we are learned to hate. Where do you think that actually came from and what have you noticed about like being in Auschwitz? What does hate actually do for those people that need to know? I think hate was eating you up. So it was very necessary for us to really reach out to others and cooperate rather than hating because it was important for me to be able to be guided from hatred to pity. And I began to feel sorry for the guards that they were wearing the uniform and throwing people into the oven, children even without gas. And I, th I was thinking that maybe they are the prisoners, not me, because I am innocent. And I was thinking that it was important for me, instead of hating them, to feel sorry for them. Mm -hmm. Because they were brainwashed and they were told that I am cancer to society, that the Jews have to be cut out. And even, you know, I'm living in America and I hope the white supremacy group realized that without Einstein, the little Jew from Germany, not coming to America, Hitler would have been maybe the person that they worship. Yeah. So you have to question authority and never blindly adhere to authority. And what have you noticed about hope? And especially being in, in Auschwitz, did you hope that one day that you would get out or you would actually? Yes, every day, every day I would go to you and ask you to tell me about my eyes and my hands because my boyfriend told me I have beautiful eyes and beautiful hands. And I said to myself, if I survive today, one day at a time, then tomorrow I'm going to be free. I never even allowed the enemy telling me that I'm never going to get out of here alive. And I said to myself, when I get out of here, so I didn't allow them to ever murder that spirit that is with me today as I talk to you. And what was it like being liberated from that place? Can you describe for us that feeling? I think very important to know that freedom can be very scary, 
the book you want to pick up is Escape from Freedom by uh, Eric Fromm. Because you see, we were liberated and people would go through the gate. And guess what? They would come back and sit down. So many, many, many years later, I worked with the military closely and I worked with women who were battered by their husbands. They were beaten by their husbands. And I told them not to put up with anything like that, but they were brainwashed. The husband told them that without him, they are nothing. They would take away the card to go to the PX um, because they were jealous. They were possessive, and they didn't want the wife to be going out of the house that perhaps she'll find someone. I think it's very important to make a difference between uh, a, a, a husband who is your soulmate or a husband who is unfortunately wanting to control you emotionally and most of all financially. It's very, um, I'm curious, Dr. Edith, having been through Auschwitz and, and, and sitting down, you got your, your doctorate of psychology and sitting down, hearing all these people share some pretty hard hitting things. How did you manage to remain as positive as you can be? Because I understand that psychologists, they, they sort of like, they hear a lot of negative stuff all the time. How did you remain positive? Like, what were some of the things that you did? I, I think I realized that I ran away from the past and I decided that I want to go back to that lion's den and look at the lion in the face. And for me to go back to Auschwitz was the best thing I've ever done, the most positive thing I've ever done to go back to the barracks where I danced for Dr. Mengele to be able to take back my innocent self. So I think uh, is, grieving is still with me because I have yet completely forgave myself that I survived. It's mm -hmm. where I, I am still, you know, I am still climbing that mountain and uh, Every day is, is beautiful because I don't think we ever experience what we have until we lose it. So I, I am appreciating every moment when I get up in the morning because I look at life as one day. Mm. I get up in the morning, I look at the sunshine, and uh, I think we go through many of the ages and stages of our development. That's why I beg young people not to smoke pot because mm -hmm. it interferes with the natural growth of the brain. Don't medicate your brain unless you're really being tested and perhaps being diagnosed as bipolar, none of the talking therapy will really be enough unless, you know, your blood is being taken, unless you have a brain uh, 
a map. And so you got to really work together with, uh, with uh, genes that you carry with you that may need to be uh, examined and treated. It's hard to face up the pain. It's hard to, because it hurts and nobody wants to be hurt at all. And that's why they want to numb the pain rather than face up to it because it's easier to numb, numb it than to walk yes. through it. But it doesn't go away. No, it never so does. So that's why I give you a couple of things why do them called edism. <laughs> and one of them is that the opposite of depression is expression. Because what comes out of your body doesn't make you ill. So share your secret. That is what I like when you guide people to find others to see how they can be for something and go through the ages and the stages of grief. That's very important. And to be able to let go of guilt and let go of worry. Worry is in the future and we never worry about good things happening. And with that comes two very important words, what if? What if this, what if that? And then you may come through what you fear, what you think you create. And when you say, I'm always doing that, I'm never going to, to be happy, then sure enough, you have a negative self-fulfilling prophecy and then you may come through what you fear. So it's very important to pay attention what you're paying attention to. I love how you said that you wake up every single day and you realize that life is a gift. And I believe, I believe that it's a choice, first and foremost, to actually acknowledge the pain, acknowledge that life is precious, that you are worth something, that you are valuable. And I came up with uh, this method that I share with other psychologists as well. And it's not clinically proven or anything like that. I just share it with them. And I want to share it with you. I call it the CAP method. And you can, it can go either way. So a lot of the people, they, they go through life making the choice to accept their current reality for what it is. And they're persistently telling themselves that they're, they're no good. And they never amount to anything. Now that could go with their surroundings. They can, other people could tell them and then they're making the choice to actually believe it. And it goes back to the original thought before, which is what you tell yourself, you will start to believe. So I decided, okay, having, having known that, we can now reverse engineer it and say, I choose to accept my current reality for what it is. And I can choose to put a cap on all the negative and persistently keep it tight. So that means I'm never going to allow the negative to creep back up. I'm going to continue to tell myself that I am worthy. I am enough and I forever will be. And I'm going to remain in this positive mindset because that is my choice. And I'm not going to allow anyone to take that away from me. So I thought I would share that and hopefully it's a help to someone that's listening. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. 
And I'm also wanting to tell you that it's good to be a realist. Mm. A realist, you know, not an idealist. To to be realistically um, aware that you're not running away or fighting the past. I call it my cherished wound, and you have your cherished wound. And it's good to keep it there and cover it up beautifully and, uh, and reach for it. And it's there for you, uh, watching you going through life with as much joy and passion and love, of course. Love, it conquers all. And my definition of love is the ability to let go. And for a lot of people, I know, having said all that, for a lot of people, it is very difficult to let go. I never said life was easy. Look no. at your birth certificate. Mm -hmm. There is no guarantee. There is no certainty. There is probability. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So. I love that. Um, you keep on... You keep on walking, you keep on moving, you're not revolving, you're evolving, just like a butterfly. I didn't wear my butterfly. Today, I, am, I always wear a butterfly scarf because I like the idea of going through the metamorphosis and then shedding the chrysalis so we can fly freely like a butterfly. I, I love have a couple of butterfly chairs here. In I've, the I've noticed, I noticed that. And yes. you have the butterfly, I have the eagle. And oh, you do. I love, okay. um, this is. I don't think that is a butterfly on this one. Oh, this, I love that. Oh, honey, I love that. So it comes keep from. Flying. It keep comes from flying. Keep going. And it comes from my, my life verse, which is from Isaiah 40, verse 31, which is, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And then on the back is the actual picture of an eagle. And then it says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And Beautiful. I keep that with me you know, all the time. Yeah, that is really, really amazing. Uh, uh, you know, I had a woman coming to see me and she wore a very big cross. Mm -hmm. And I, among other people, I studied with Carl Rogers mm -hmm. about unconditional positive regard. And I practiced that with everyone, even with the white supremacy boy. And, and so I did that with the woman. And finally, she said, I'm so happy. I found a beautiful Christian woman like you. And I'm thinking, oh, that's okay. Jesus was a Jew. It's okay. But then he, she said, I don't know how to forgive my husband. You know, look what he did to me. He cheated on me. I want to kill my husband. And I said very quietly, would you please repeat what I'm going to tell you? 
And she looked at me, what? And I said very quietly, I forgive myself to put judgment on my husband. Well, she wanted to kill me now. How could I say such a thing? That her husband belongs, you know, to the doghouse. Mm. So I bring down the big guns and I said, what did Jesus say to the woman who committed adultery? Yes. See? Yes. I love that story. Isn't it? And I'm always curious because it says that Jesus was drawing something in the sand in front of him. I'm always curious, like, what was he actually drawing? What was it? Was he just fiddling around or was he actually writing something in there? And if he was, what was it? That's what I've always been curious about. But I love the, the, the poeticness of where are your accusers? None, my Lord, go away and sin no more. Like that, that for me is just, you can be doing the worst, worst possible thing, yet you can still be forgiven. There is a gift in everything. Mm -hmm. There is light in the end of the tunnel. Everything is temporary. Mm -hmm. Now we are locked in. It's how we're going to use it. Maybe write a book or read another book or read my two books mm. and uh, realize that why did I write the book? I can tell you people ask me all the time that the person that really kept pushing me was Philip Zimbardo mm. from Stanford. And he said that the survivors who are famous, are all men, and they need a woman's voice. Yeah. So that was really what made me sit down and, uh, and thinking that I am going to write a book that will be the female voice of Viktor Frankl. Mm, I love that. I'm not Victor Franco because he was a medical doctor when the, in his studies in Auschwitz, and I was a 16-year-old teenager in love. So we have different age. Yes. age yes, it, it was important. Both of us using the same skill because when he was beaten, he closed his eyes and imagined that he was in Vienna lecturing about the concentration camp uh, psychology. And I said, I too closed my eyes when I danced for Dr. Mengele and the music was Tchaikovsky. And I was dancing the Romeo and Juliet at the Budapest Opera House. So when you were touched inappropriately at the age of six, you may have checked out as well. It's time for you to find that little boy and tell that little boy that like, little boy is never going to be left by you, that you're never, ever going to run from that little boy, and that little boy is provided with safety. Children need to know that the world is a safe place. 
So find that little boy, take him for a walk, buy him an ice cream cone, and maybe even a teddy bear, and tell him, I'm never, ever going to leave you. It's beautiful. I'm the only one who will never, ever leave you. Mm. And find that little boy who now is being told, you can just be a little boy. Mm. Because you stopped you stopped your childhood. You can now go and just kick the ball and do what little boys do. Because I'm here, I'm a healthy adult guiding, guiding the both of us to freedom. Mm. And that's my choice. I love it. And the two words are two, two F words, freedom from the prison that are in our own minds. Mm. The biggest concentration camp is in your own mind. Yeah. And the key is in your pocket. Sometimes I think about existentialists like Jean-Paul Sartre, mm. and he wrote about no exit, very nihilistic. And I, if I would talk to him, I would ask him, how did you get in there? Mm. See, we have a black hole that can just pull us in into that black hole. That's why life is so difficult. It's very true. Dr. Edith, who has been the one person in your life that you can remember that gave you a renewed perspective on life? Can you remember that particular person? Well, my two sisters were very talented and uh, one of them played the violin and uh, Actually, she was a child prodigy in violin, and she was already in a camp in Budapest, and her Christian professor smuggled her out until the end of the war. And Magda was the pianist. So many people didn't even know I existed. So my mother took me to a ballet school, and that was the ballet master who picked me up and said that I was made by God that created me to enjoy life and have ecstasy inside out. But I didn't know the word ecstasy. I didn't know what he was talking about. And in Auschwitz, that's what I discovered. That I could look at now life from inside out and they cannot ever murder my spirit. It's so beautiful. I'm loving this conversation. I really am. Me too. By the way, what I I shared with me going through what I went through as a six-year-old kid, I've never really shared that on on my own podcast platform. I've only mentioned it. Like I've said, I was sexually abused when I was six. And I've never really dived further into it, but I just felt like I needed to today for some reason. So I appreciate you and, and you sharing all that. You've helped me a lot um, and you've given me a renewed perspective today. Uh, I really, really am thankful for that. Uh, two, I've got quite a few more questions for you, Dr. Edith, if you don't mind. I, I do want to value your time. Um, this is a question that I've started asking people recently, but 
I'm curious to know your answer to it. What was the the worst piece of advice you were ever given growing up or even as, as an adult? Listen to your ego. Your ego is your false self. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's false. It's the image that you create. You see, you may now say all these beautiful things, right? You're actually quoting Jesus because when Jesus said, um, turn the other cheek, mm-hmm. what he's telling you not to do the same thing, but look at the same thing from a different perspective. So um, today your ophthalmologist actually, I'm letting you to see that little boy, that innocent, precious little child that God has created for a reason, mm-hmm. give you purpose. Mm-hmm. So I think it's not what happens, it's what you do with it. It's how you look at it as an opportunity for an opportunity to discover the ecstasy that my ballet master taught me. I love that. I wish I could find that man now and thank him that that really led me to look at everything in life as an opportunity. Mm. If people were to read your books, what would yeah. you which page would you tell them to start from? Would you tell them to start at the beginning or would there be a particular chapter that you can open up to that would be the most powerful? Um, page 11. Page 11. Mm. Page 11 is right here. Here, I'll open it for you. She'll get it for me. It's very important for you to evolving rather than revolving. Okay. So the question is what now? The prison of victimhood. You cannot be a victim without a victimizer. And it gives you the license to do nothing. You cannot be a victim without a victimizer. And the victims will blame and children blame. And while you blame, you're still a child. So forgiveness is not about me forgiving you for what you did to me. It's for me to release you and not carry that person who touched you inappropriately and thinking that you're going to like it, you're going to have fun together because that's not a man, that's a male Mm. who has not grown up, he's a boy who wants you to play and doesn't know what it takes, unfortunately, to be a good guide to you and to be a good listener to you and to meet you where you are and treat you the way you will grow up to be a man who is a leader, who is a teacher, and most of all, is a protector. Yeah, I, I can't begin to tell you how much that actually resonates with me and the way I think now and I have this I have this little story that I often shared towards 
victimhood and being a man and, and hate. And a little boy asks his mum one day, Mama, why do people hate in the first place? Mum looks down at a, a young son with eyes of affection and she says, son, people hate what they don't understand. And the boy goes back to his mum and says, Mama, I hate not understanding. And the mum smiles and she says, son, there are two reasons why people hate in the first place. Number one, they hate what they don't understand. And number two, they make the choice to hate. And she said the difference, son, between being a boy and a man is the boy chooses to follow the crowd. The man chooses to do what you feel like doing. Exactly. And not worry about the consequences. Exactly. This is wonderful. This is so, so very important Mm. what you're saying. How important for us to ask, when did your childhood end? And to be able to to find that little child and knowing that life is difficult. Mm. It's not easy. But there are no problems. There are only challenges. There are no crises. There are only transition. Mm. And I think we are in a transitional period to really let go of victimhood and to take full responsibility and give birth to the me, the true me that I have given up. I have given up and I kept my secret and I given up my true self to some formula that fit into my my family's psychology. And that's what we do. Firstborn children become the responsible ones. Are you firstborn child? I'm middle, middle child. Middle children are just like you. Middle children are peacemakers. They want everybody to get along. You're a classic middle child. You know what you call the youngest one? Charming manipulator. (laughs) You have a brother or a sister? I have a little brother. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's the one who is going to try to manipulate. Oh, that is so true. He can get away with. (laughs) That is so true. You like that? Yeah. I do. I love it. Um, Dr. Edith, two final questions for you, if you don't mind. This one is my all time favorite question that I love asking at the end. So, you're not too far off from 100, but I'm, I'm curious, when you're able to reach the age of 100, all your friends, your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it or we'll call it magic, but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? That she died happy and never asked what the world has given her, but what she was able to make a difference. She was dying and she was very happy in her deathbed. I love that. It's a beautiful film. 
beautiful legacy to leave behind and you've you are going to leave behind a tremendous tremendous legacy legacy, yes yes how i want to be remembered and i told my children not to wear black just celebrate my life i shouldn't have wore black today i should have wore red (laughs) i should have thought better of it (laughs) but um my i like yellow or yellow Yes. Um, but my final question for you, Dr. Edith, this is more of a fun one and because you mentioned that you eat everything off your plate uh, and you love food. What is the weirdest food combination you have ever tried? Well, actually, right now, I love Japanese. I love, I love uh, sashimi. Uh, I love salmon sashimi. And I like the soup, and I like to I like to try many kinds of food. And my daughter and I are starting to write a book on recipes. So this is my next uh, project. Yes, it's coming. You don't you don't stop. You're absolutely incredible. You're no, inspirational. I never stop. No, I no. I, if you don't use it, you lose it. It oh. does apply. That's a perfect yes. way to sort of end that conversation. I've really, really loved this and, and enjoyed it. Where can people find you, Dr. Edith, and connect with you and learn more about you, plus buy your books? Thank you. Where can they find you? EdithEager.com. Uh, EdithEager.com. Facebook, Instagram. Facebook, Instagram. Twitter. Uh, You're on Twitter, too. You're on Twitter. <laughs> You're ahead of me. <laughs> I don't know because I don't do any of that. <laughs> I just do what I do, but I don't know anything with machines. Uh, I don't know much about how to set up the Zoom. I have beautiful Katie girl who is my right-hand person. She's amazing. And she thank you. Thank you both so much. Thank you. It's thank been you. an absolute delight. Thank you for coming on the Storybox podcast. Thank you. I don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Fansom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 